but uh, we'll do our best. So let's continue to look back in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and there's some other things about this very important topic of, of carnal Christianity. Uh, I just think we need to really give it some serious, serious thought. And I pray that you'll take it home and, and meditate on it, the scriptures, and think about your own life and how you would answer that honestly before the Lord. And we will stand before him one day and, do, and give an account for the things done in the body. And so there will come a time. And Barbara said to me she, she wanted to get this fixed while she still has time and before she had to stand before her Lord. And that's the right idea. He gives us this space of grace. He brings these messages. And many of you are acutely aware of that. I don't bring the messages. He brings them. And uh, I'm thankful he does. And it's interesting to see. But So to understand that these messages come from your God custom designed for you where we are as a church right now. And thank God that he's speaking to you. You get worried if you don't hear him speaking to you, if you don't understand that he's not speaking to you anymore. Uh, you want him to be speaking to you. And uh, he loves you and he cares about your soul. He cares about your life. He cares about your witness, your testimony your living epistle, and how effective you are in this ungodly world at showing the true and living Jesus Christ, not just in word, but in deed. And so this carnal Christian business that's so prevalent in our day and has infected the people of God in a significant way is important to give some serious, serious thought to. And so I'm, I'm thankful the Lord has spoken to you by showing you His perfect timing and how it coincides with other things that I didn't even know were going on in the church. That's God showing us like God showed Micah. This is our great God at work in our lives. Praise God for it. So the question has been asked or laid out there for us. And so uh, let me get rid of some of all this. I don't need it. It gets in the way. So, in the previous chapters that we've looked at, one and two, uh, other contrasts have been used, which come down to spiritual or carnal, as we said this morning. The wisdom of men, or the wisdom of the world, or the wisdom of God. The wisdom of man, or the mind of Christ. You can't have both going on at the same time. The mind of Christ is quite different than your mind, than my mind. And so there's a tug of war in all of these ways. They're all talking about the same thing. But as I mentioned this morning, Paul here gets down to the nitty gritty. He says, we're just carnal. I can't even talk to you about spiritual things because you're so carnal that you, you don't get it. They don't, it's like, it seems foolish, you know. Some of the things that Christ says for us to do. Like love your enemy. We have a hard time loving one another, really, and according to the Bible sometimes. According to the Bible, 
That's another problem with, you know, so many things the, the, the world has redefined. It's redefined what love is. It's redefined what marriage is. It's redefined what the church is. It's redefined what salvation is. It's redefined what it means to be a Christian. It's redefined everything. The only way we can get back to where it, what it really is is to be in, you know, what saith the scripture? What saith the Lord? And so it is. Am I a carnal Christian? Am I operating under the wisdom of God or am I operating under the wisdom of man, the wisdom of the world? Am I exercising the mind of my mind, letting my mind make the decisions, or the mind of Christ make the decisions? Those are the questions. To be car Now, look with me at Romans chapter uh, 8. I didn't have time to transcribe, and I really hate transcribing. It takes up so much time. And after I, you know, so my habit is often that I, I, I it's so, it's so uh, stullifying to sit down at the keyboard and try to let the thoughts flow as you type. You know, that, that just doesn't work for me. I've got to sit down with a pen, pen and flow, you know. And then it's hard to read what I wrote. Then to sit down for another two or three hours and get it all organized, you know, in a nice neat outline. The older I get, the less time I, I, I'm interested I have in that. So I'll probably, you'll see more of this kind of thing. But I've got about eight pages of, of notes on these first ten verses. And I only got through page one this morning to give you some idea of the number of thoughts that it stimulated. But I want to uh, invite your attention to Romans <coughs> chapter 8. You probably wish we were going to Romans 8.28, but we're not. Going to Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. And here's, here's something, though, now that I'm turning there, that I should mention to you also. I mentioned it to Barbara. She was talking to me after the service this morning about it. The struggle that we we've identified the struggle to to be spiritually minded, not to be carnally minded. It's a struggle because your default setting is to be carnally minded. And the apostle Paul was struggling with it too. Be comforted by that. And he said, "Oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death?" He quickly answers his own question. He said, "I thank God." And Romans chapter eight starts with this. A long way down, it gets to Romans 8.28, where we love to, to be. But it starts here. I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. That's my deliverer. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. But then he says one more thing. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk, listen now, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Just exactly what we're talking about, isn't it? If we're in Christ Jesus, we're called upon to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And so there's two things here. Condemnation is found by faith in Jesus Christ. But joy and satisfaction and the will of God is about walking in the Spirit. 
A little further down, he says something else, and this is where I was going originally, in verse 6. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now some people get hung up on that and say that's why they believe that you, it's impossible to be a carnal Christian. Well, everything we studied this morning, everything that Paul said indicates that it's entirely possible and very likely that to some degree everyone in this church is somewhat carnal in their Christianity. It's a matter of degrees. So how can this be? To be carnally minded is death. To be exclusively carnally minded, in other words, to not have the spirit of Christ, to be then unsaved, to be not born again. To be born again is to receive the spirit of Christ. With it comes the mind of Christ and an understanding of the Word of God. But that doesn't mean that you are being governed by that Spirit. That's the thing. That, so, so understand that to be carnally minded, if you're never anything other than carnally minded, you're dead. You're dead in trespasses and sins and you're eternally dead and you're destined for eternal hell and damnation for your sins. And justifiably so. But... Then he goes on to say, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In other words, it's to live like God who made you intended you to live. According to his design and purpose for you. That's why so many Christians don't have peace. Because they're carnal Christians. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Barbara was asking a question and I've asked myself, you know, how, how is it? In fact, I, I quoted to her a, a, one of the psalmists, you know, or, uh, and I, I can't quote the number, but I mentioned it before, like everything else I say from the pulpit. But the psalmist, I, a long time ago, I, it, it, it struck me when he said, Lord, make me to go in the path of thy commandments, wherein my soul finds delight. Well, if my soul delights in walking in the Lord's commandments, why should I pray, Lord, make me to walk in those commandments? It's the very thing we're talking about. That's that struggle between carnal and spiritual. Lord, make me. Oh, I love it when I'm walking there. And I do too, I believe me. And I hate it when I'm not there. I hate it when I grieve the Spirit because the Spirit grieves me. He gets even. <laughs> and it ain't, it's not very pleasant. And you can't enjoy the joy of the Lord. So it's an interesting thing. So what does he mean here? To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. We want life. We want the life of Christ. We want that spiritual life, that joy-filled life, that... That, that life of peace with God and a blessing to mankind to be givers and, and doers of God's word. It's, it's the way for a Christian to live and to enjoy living. When we mix it up with carnality, we, you know, we kill, as it were, that spirit. 
So understand this statement in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Death in this world is the result of the carnal mind making a choice. Go all the way back to, to Genesis chapter 3. Where did all this mess start? The carnal mind made a choice against the clearly revealed will of God. And it's been a mess ever since. And yet we continue to choose according to the carnal mind. Lord, make me to go in the way of thy commandments. And that's a good prayer for you and for the preacher. Lord, make me to go in the way of your commandments. My soul delights to be there. But I need an alignment. You know, my, my, I wanted to veer off the highway. I got to hold the wheel real tight. Death is the result of the carnal mind's choice. We need to understand that. Death is the result of the carnal mind making a choice against God, against God's will. And death is the sentence that passed upon all carnal creatures as a result of the carnal mind's choice against God's will. And even creatures that are not human beings, as we read in Romans chapter 8, are groaning and travailing together because of the carnal mind's choice against the will of God. Every time you see a dead bird, every time you see a dead squirrel in the highway, every time you see something dead, you just you think about that. That's what the carnal mind has done. That's what obeying the carnal mind, the sinful mind, that's what it has done. It's brought death into the world and death has passed upon all men. We understand that and should understand it more than we perhaps do or allow ourselves to. It's kind of like getting old, you know. I knew I was going to get old. I just didn't really believe it. <laughs> I knew the fact I had to get old. A year goes by, a year goes by. But holy smokes, all of a sudden I'm old. I never really thought it would happen to me. And that's kind of the way it is. You know, we kind of fool ourselves into imagining that this ain't really as bad as it, it is. But it'll help us to realize that when we make carnal choices against God's will, that something must die. Right. Something does die. Right. That's what James said. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Some kind of death. Something must die. That's what the carnal mind results in. But even, even to those, as in the church at Corinth and the church in Bradenton, who have been born again, if we are carnal Christians and not spiritual, then effectively this results in the death of Christ living in us to some degree. We put him to death by obeying the carnal mind. That's what happens. Something dies. And if we're carnally minded, Christ can't be living in us at that time. We can't have our cake and eat it too. Jesus said, I am the life. Herein is both peace with God and the peace of God to be found and only there. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. 
this is another uh, extension of this idea. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Life and peace, the life of Christ, the true life that God intended for His people to live, to glorify Him in the living thereof. Ephesians 4.18, let's start at verse 17. Paul says, this is a different church, but the same basic problem at the core. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. There's that concept again. The mind of Christ versus the mind of man. The wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. Verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now he's talking about unbelievers there. But I want you to make an application because the same thing happens to us. We will find ourselves to some degree, depending on our carnality, we will find ourselves alienated from the life of God. That's not a happy place to be. That's not why Jesus shed His precious blood. He wants, he wants the life of Christ to be active and strong in us. He doesn't want us as His blood-bought people to be alienated from the life of God. That's a, that's a terrible phrase, isn't it? Alienated. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1 that, that, that we've been given these great and precious promises that we might be partakers of the divine nature. That's the Spirit of God working in you according to the Word of God. The divine nature then is being manifested in you. But to the degree that we cave in to carnality, to the flesh, and to the world that feeds the flesh, we will find ourselves sadly alienated from the life of God. And there is no peace in that for the child of God. And there is no joy in that for the child of God. And there is no pleasing the Lord in that. And many other things that we might say. So beware of this carnal business, this carnal mind, this fleshly mind. It wars against the spirit of Christ within you, child of God. And it'll, make, it, it'll be such a, an influence that, that you won't even, like Paul said, remember what he said? He said, I can't even speak to you spiritually. No comprendo. What are you talking about? Love my enemy. Are you kidding? Do good to those that spitefully use you. Are you kidding? And on and on and on we might go. Somebody asks you for your shirt, give them your coat also. Come on, get real. Where did that statement I just made come from? That's the carnal mind. 
in conflict with the mind of Christ. And so you see, when I speak, I mean, everybody knows those passages, or you should, you know, that Jesus taught that. If a man asks you to go a mile, go two. If he hits you in the face, turn the other cheek. Come on, that's ridiculous. Nobody does that. That's my point, exactly. Nobody does that. Should we do it? Somebody's honest enough to admit it. I've heard it talked away, explained away a lot, but Jesus said it. And the fact that nobody does it is not an excuse. It's an example of the carnal mind being influenced and encouraged, 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 to the point where we said, well, those are nice thoughts. He didn't really mean that we have to do that or should try to do it even. You have heard it said, is the way Jesus put it, didn't he? You have heard it said. You've heard it said by well-meaning people. You've heard it said by religious people. You've heard it said by, by the, the, the rabbis in Judaism. You've heard it said, love those that love you. Do good to those that do good to you. But I say unto you. That should have some authority, shouldn't it? I say unto you, I, God the Son, say unto you, made in my image, saved by my blood, created for, by me, and for me, and held all together by me. Without me, you'd fly apart. And I say, this is what I want you to do. That's how we should read that. Brother Warren, when you're captaining a tugboat, and you bark out an order, I know you never bark them out, but <laughs> something, sometimes you have to bark because it's emergency, it has to be done quickly. You bark out an order. What happens if the guy said, I ain't doing it? Does he make it to port? He's going to make duty, yes sir. <laughs> yeah. yeah, our God is more merciful than that. But he has a whole lot more authority, even than the captain of the tugboat. But the carnal Christian, Paul referred to a carnal Christian as what? A baby. In other words, an undeveloped person. I couldn't help but think about Annabeth. She's an undeveloped person. Physically undeveloped. But Paul's talking about spiritual, using a baby who's an undeveloped human being. And Annabeth is learning all kinds of words 
and she's stringing them together and she's starting to learn how to communicate and she's real excited about that. She's tickled to death with herself when she, when she, she does that. But I promise you, if I start talking to her about mathematics, she'll go blank. No comprendo. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. You see, now you can see why Paul used that illustration. He wanted to talk about some math. But she can't possibly understand. She, she's still undeveloped. You know, I thought while I was meditating on this that there's all kinds of metrics that parents live by. Uh, they want to know what percentile my child is, and they brag about it sometimes if there's something to brag about. And I say, oh, my child is in the 99th percentile of height, weight, and scored 130. <laughs> You know, an IQ test. I'm so proud. Look at how they are developing. And yours isn't. They never say that, but that's what they're thinking. So all kinds of metrics. Bless your soul, I can tell you how long I slept. I can tell you how much deep sleep I got. I can tell you how much REM sleep I got. These are metrics. And I, and I, and I am using those metrics why am I using? I'm using them to fine-tune my sleep so I can get a good night's rest. And so I'm using what I'm getting fed back. Well, Paul's giving us some feedback about some metrics, spiritual metrics. People are interested in, every, probably every, everybody in here, almost everybody's got one of these watches. And, you, and a lot of us live and die by it. I mean, I know how many steps. I go to bed, how many steps? I get my 10,000 in. I got to get up and walk around the living room a few times, get those last few steps in. Oh, man, I got an 85 sleep score. I got a good night's sleep. I don't feel like it, but I got a good night's sleep. You know, it's amazing. But what about spiritual metrics? How are we doing? You know, in, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, uh, Paul tells us that the ministry gifts, which would be preachers and teachers, are given to the church that we might all grow in the unity of the faith into a perfect man. That simply means a fully mature Christian. To the fullness of the stature of Moses. To the fullness of the stature of my grandfather, who was a great Christian. To the fullness of the stature of Abraham Lincoln, who was a great president. No, the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. That's our metric. That is our metric. And so you go ahead and be interested in how your child is in developing, but let's bring out the metric, the yardstick of Jesus Christ, and let's hold it up and, say, and, and look at our life and say, Man, I'm below 50% here. And do like we do with the watch. Let's step it up a little bit. Let's uh, eat some more Wheaties. Let's eat some more vegetables. Let's get some more protein so we can 
you know, gain some weight, get up there in the, uh, on the profile. But how about the spiritual profile? Paul was concerned. Paul was concerned about the Christians at Corinth. They were babes in Christ. They didn't even understand. And, he, I'm, and we're not talking about 16-cylinder theological terms, you know. He's talking about practical life principles that Jesus Christ taught his disciples to do. He's not talking about, you know, uh, stuff you got to spend 15 years in a theological seminary and then 30 years when you get out trying to unlearn what you learned. The Bible's got everything you need right in there and the Holy Spirit, if, if the Holy Spirit is our teacher. We just got to spend time in His Word and under the Spirit and, you know. But uh, I lost my place. But Paul was concerned. He wasn't just concerned in Corinth. He was concerned in Galatia too. In chapter 4, verse 19, he said, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again. What does he mean by that? Well, they had come to faith in Christ, but they weren't making any progress. So he's back in the labor room trying to bring the birth, you know, get the life going inside of them. It's like when Adia was born and we were watching that unfold and something was wrong and she didn't, she didn't cry. She, didn't, she wasn't breathing. Buddy and I panicked. We ran down the hall. We were just in a dither, you know. It's bad. That's what Paul saw. He, he saw, man, there's no, there's no life in there. I don't see Christ in there. I'm concerned. And so he says, my little children, the same idea. You're, not, you're underdeveloped. You're not moving along. You're not growing in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is not being seen in you. And so he was concerned. He said, I'm travailing in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Is he formed in you? Do people see Christ? Now, sometimes they don't see Christ in me. Now, I confess that. And it's bothering me more and more. It's bothering Sister Barbara. If it's bothering you, thank God for it. There's hope. If it's going in one ear and out the other, be concerned. That's the carnal mind. Not receiving the Word of God. It's spiritually discerned. That's what give it, gives it teeth, effectiveness in us. The, or the, uh, the, the paraphrase of Galatians 4.19 said, I'm going to keep at it until Christ's life becomes visible in your lives. That's what we're looking for. Weymouth, a very able translator of the New Testament, says, until Christ is fully formed, fully formed within you. That's the goal. Fully formed. 
in Ephesians chapter 4, I think we maybe quoted that a little bit, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, just a few, uh, verse 14 and 15, that we henceforth, well, I, I quoted 13 and 12, sort of, paraphrased, but the, the ministry gifts given to the preachers and teachers and evangelists and prophets back in the day before the Word of God was solidified, still being given, but it's all given by God for the perfecting, verse 12, of the saints, for the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, a mature spiritual man or woman under the measure, and this is the metric of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. Sister Pat said when I walked into, into the dining hall, she said, it hurts to grow up. <laughs> yes, it does. Growing pains. And there's a woman that's been following Christ for 50 years, 40 years. Now, you're only 35. It can't be that many years, but a long time. She's been following Christ. She's a blessed saint of God. God added her to this church. He set her in this church. A wonderful demonstration of that truth. And you would think by now she'd be full grown. But she knows she's not. And she, she said, it hurts to grow up. Yeah, there's some sacrifices there. Christ calls upon us to take up our cross. To say no to ourselves. That the spiritual man might have its way with us. To be spiritual and not carnal. So, Henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro by the culture, by what the peers are doing, by what others are doing, by what's popular, what's the trend in Christianity today, the music and all the entertainment and all that, and to be, you know, pulled this way and pulled that way. There's so much confusion, but there's no confusion with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And that's where spirituality is found. It's not found in the Christian culture and all of that. It's found in the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Notice what it says about what we were talking about in verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Boy, there's a bunch of that floating around in the world today. By the slight of men, trickery that is, Cunning craftiness. Starting to sound more like the devil. And it is. He's behind it all. Whereby they lie in wait to deceive you. God ain't deceiving us. The Holy Spirit's not deceiving us. But all of this is appealing to the carnal mind that speaks death, speaks death 
verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love may grow up into him, into Christ in all things. How you coming with that metric? That we may grow up into Christ in all things. That's a pretty big statement in a few words, isn't it? That's the metric. Which is the head, even Christ. Now here's another, maybe you get it, I won't go there yet. We could continue reading there and he gets into where Paul kind of gets into concerning the church. Here's another thought. We won't have time for it today. We've already run out of time, I guess. But when it comes to the church, the more carnal Christianity there is in the church membership, the less spirituality there is in the church and the less effective we are in reaching the lost and making and uh, being influencers for Christ's sake. Everybody wants to be an influencer on the internet. But let's be influencers, as Mark taught this morning in a very good Sunday school lesson. Let's be influencers for Christ's sake. Now we're talking about something eternal. Something that's really important. Something that's going to last when everything else goes away. Well, I think I'll quit there. Maybe it's a good place. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good place.